Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. All right, well, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 19, to that passage we just read, Luke 19. Hope you guys are doing well this morning. Uh, if I sound a little hoarse, uh, I do not have COVID as far as I know. Um, I was at the Tennessee game yesterday and there were a few calls that I was not the most happy about. Um, also, there were some just general uh, playing that I was not the most happy with. And so I yelled a lot. Pretty sure that's why my voice was gone. That's what we're gonna go with. I'm vaccinated, y'all should be good. Just wanted to throw that out there. It's just anytime you like cough nowadays, it's everybody just stares at you like you're an alien. So I just felt like I wanted to get that out of the way first. But so glad you're here this morning. Uh, we're going to be getting into that passage, Luke 19, here in just a bit, uh, seeing what we can learn from it. But first, uh, like I said earlier, if you're new, welcome. Let me just catch you up briefly on, on what we're doing here. Um, you're joining us on the tail end of a series that we have called In Knoxville As It Is In Heaven. Uh, in short, it is a series all about the ways that we join God in his desire to bring more and more of the realities of heaven to earth. That's the big idea. That's what we're talking about every week of this series, how that is his ultimate goal, bringing heaven to earth. And then we, we've been talking about how we get to participate with him in those efforts. And so we've talked about a number of specific ways that we join him in that. We've talked about intimacy with God and how that's a way of us bringing heaven to earth in some way. We've talked about confession and repentance. We've talked about discipleship. And then last week, Marcus talked us through generosity and how generosity is a part of that process. Uh, which, by the way, one of my favorite things to happen after last week's teaching was that right after the service was over, uh, a woman in our church came up to our staff and she said, do you guys have Venmo? And we were like, is this a drug deal? I don't understand what's happening here. I don't, I don't really know why you asked that. We were like, yeah, yeah, we have Venmo. What's up? And she was like, I'm gonna Venmo y'all some money in light of today's sermon on generosity so that y'all's staff can go and meet and have lunch together and talk through how we're gonna fit more people in this room in the age of COVID and keep everybody safe. Can I send y'all money to do that? And we were like, absolutely. We gladly accepted that immediate application of the teaching. We're always big fans of when people respond with obedience to the scriptures, but when we get free lunch out of it, that's just a bonus, right? <laughs> so we were, we were huge fans of that. Thanks for that, Ashley, somewhere in here. Um, that was awesome. Uh, hopefully we'll have some solutions on that soon. Hopefully you found some more parking this morning. We grabbed a few extra lots. They're not close to here, but they are places where you can leave your car. So hopefully that helps. Um, we'll just, we'll, we'll roll with it for now. Um, but that's everything that we've discussed so far in this series. All these different ways that we join God in his desire 
to bring more and more of the realities of heaven to earth. So today, we're going to talk about how we do that in regards to something called hospitality. Now, if you were here in week one, you may remember that we said this week was going to be on mission. So, so mission or existing for the good of our city and our world, that is massively important to us here at City Church. It's a part of our vision statement, Jesus-centered family on mission. But the more we thought about it as a staff, the more we got into the series, the more we realized mission could honestly probably describe most of what we're talking about in this series, right? Like that's a pretty broad word. And so what we wanted to do this week instead, we wanted to kind of change plans, call an audible at the last minute and talk about one specific, very important way that we participate with God in his mission. And that's what the Bible calls hospitality. Now, chances are when you hear the word hospitality, or at least most of us hear that word hospitality, it brings certain images to mind. So probably our functional definition of that word, here in the South at least, is that hospitality is some version of hosting and entertaining and feeding people at our home. I think that's the, the functional definition of it for most of us. So chances are, it, when you think of hospitality, if you're a little bit older in the room, you probably think of something like this. Wait for it. Yep. So that's Martha Stewart in her pre-prison days. Um, it's just a fact, you guys. She went to prison. Like, I think everybody knows that. But um, so if you're a little bit older in the room, maybe you think of that. If you're slightly younger than that in the room, you probably think of something more like this. Chip and Joanna and their Magnolia Empire. They have a whole network now. Have y'all seen that? They have a whole channel on TV. I don't understand how that's possible. That's amazing. So maybe you think of something like that. Uh, if you're even younger than that in the room, maybe like your picture of hospitality is like hanging out in your apartment and there's like the LED wall and the plants. <laughs> Have y'all seen this? This is like all over my Instagram feed. I don't know if y'all seen it. It's a new thing. It looks really cool. I don't understand it, but it looks really cool. Uh, maybe you think of that. Maybe if you're in the room and you're in college and you just moved into a dorm, maybe you're thinking like, no, I literally live in like an oversized shoebox, so I don't show hospitality to anybody. Like I just, Mike did not like that joke. <laughs> handheld, I'm being, I'm being told from the back end to go with the handheld. Maybe, if it works. Better? Ooh, that's nice and bassy. Um, so maybe for you, uh, you're like, yeah, I don't even know how to show hospitality because I, I don't have a place big enough to have people over. Like if I wanted to have one person over, that would be too much for the size place that I live in. So maybe it's not even really a thing for you. But all these different images of hospitality tend to come to mind for us, right? Like we think about all these different things when we think about that word. But whatever you tend to think of when you think of the word hospitality, I, I need to ask you a favor right here at the beginning. I need you to do your best to just forget everything that comes to mind when you hear that word, hospitality. I, I need us to try to have sort of a, a blank canvas in our mind just to begin with. Can we do that together today? And, and the reason for that is because the word hospitality in our modern society has, has come to mean a lot of different things. And they're not necessarily bad things, they're just not what the Bible means when it uses that word. Does that make sense? And what I want us to get into today is what does the Bible mean when it uses the word hospitality? So, so maybe you're here this morning and you're like really good at the American or the American Southern version of hospitality. 
right? Like, like maybe your apartment does look like something right out of an Instagram ad, like LED wall and everything. Maybe that's you. Maybe your house looks like Chip and Joanna just left after decorating the whole place, and that's awesome. Maybe you're really good at cooking, and, and you know how to find these unique, quasi-healthy, but still delicious meals, which I'm pretty sure is an oxymoron, by the way, but unique meals that you make for people when they come over to your house. And if that's you, if you're good at any and all of that, that's fantastic, good for you. I would love to have your help the next time I have people over to my house. But I just want you to hear this morning that you can show hospitality whether or not you are good at those sorts of things. While those things are great, and they can be great ways of showing hospitality, those things are not necessarily what hospitality is, according to the Bible. So, you can show hospitality, according to the Bible, without even owning a house or an apartment at all, because biblical hospitality is something altogether different. And that's what we're going to see in today's passage. So I want to try to show you all of that this morning through a story of a man who showed the most incredible hospitality that the world has ever seen without even owning a house and without cooking a single meal. That man's name just happens to be Jesus. So let's take a look, see what we can learn from Luke 19, starting in verse 1. Let's read through this passage again together. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, who some of you may know as a wee little man. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he, Zacchaeus, ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, the spot where Zacchaeus was, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. In other words, he gets it. He understands what my kingdom is all about, Jesus says. Verse 10, and I think this is kind of the key to the whole thing. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. What a story, right? Now, chances are many of us who grew up in and around church probably heard that story before, maybe a dozen times over, complete with songs and illustrations and maybe a felt board or two if you're a little bit older in the room. Now, if you didn't grow up in church and you have no idea what I was just talking about, no worries, you might be better off when it comes to understanding what this story is all about, right? You have less preconceived notions in your brain about it. But the basics of this story are as follows. Jesus is passing through a town called Jericho. A man named Zacchaeus in that town catches wind that Jesus is passing through. He's intrigued enough about Jesus that he wants to go and see Jesus as he passes through town. But there are a few obstacles in his way. One is that there is a large crowd out that day, and it's hard for him to see over them. Now, if you want to have your Sunday school mind blown just a little bit on this story, the text actually isn't clear on whether the, the, the phrase, he was short, refers to Zacchaeus or to Jesus. 
right? Like, I just always thought it was Zacchaeus. I just assumed that was it. I heard this story growing up, and the song and everything just made me think, like, oh, this is a, this is a story about how Jesus loves short people, too. Like, that's awesome. <laughs> and just to be clear, Jesus does love short people, too. That's, that's a factual statement, but it may not be actually the point of this particular story. So the point of the story is actually that Zacchaeus was hated. He was excluded. The, the text tells us that he was a tax collector. Now, we've unpacked before here on Sundays several times who tax collectors were and why they were hated and all of that. I'm not going to go into all of that this morning. But they were one of the most hated and most ostracized group of people in the ancient world by the rest of the Jewish community because their profession sometimes involved them collecting exorbitant taxes from their own people. They were despised. They were hated. They, they were on the very bottom of the social totem pole. You, you would rather be caught dead in Jesus' day than caught talking to or associating with a tax collector. No one wanted anything to do with Jesus at all. I mean, with Zacchaeus at all. A lot of people didn't want anything to do with Jesus either, but no one wanted anything to do with Zacchaeus, which explains why Zacchaeus has to look on from a distance hidden up in a tree so that he can see over the crowds towards Jesus. But then it says that when Jesus gets to the spot where Zacchaeus is, he stops. He gathers from what Zacchaeus is doing that Zacchaeus is out of place and unwanted and excluded. So he does what at the time only Jesus would do. He looks up at Zacchaeus and he says, I'm coming over to your house tonight for dinner which I think is Jesus' way of saying, I would love to have you over to my house for dinner, but I don't have a home, so we're going to your house, right? So Jesus sees Zacchaeus, he notices Zacchaeus, and he initiates a friendship with Zacchaeus. Now this, if you were wondering what just happened in the story, is biblical hospitality. It's noticing a person that you don't know or a person that feels out of place or feels like they don't belong and then taking it upon yourself to do something about that. The word for hospitality in the Bible is the word philoxenia. We'll put this up on screen so we can break it down a little bit. It's the word philoxenia, and it's actually a word made up of two other words. It's made up of the word philos, which means love, and the word xenos, which means stranger. Sometimes it means foreigner. So, literally speaking, hospitality means to love or to care for or to welcome the stranger. That's what we're talking about when we use that word in the Bible. It's the exact opposite of xenophobia, which is the fear of or hatred of strangers. So hopefully you can begin to see through that definition that biblical hospitality actually has nothing to do with how your house looks or how your apartment looks or how awesome or how Instagrammable it is. And it has nothing to do with your cooking either. You might be inclined towards using your beautiful home or apartment or your incredible cooking to show hospitality. And that's great, but that's not required for biblical hospitality. The only thing that is required to show biblical hospitality is a willingness to notice people and to initiate friendship with them. That's what we're talking about. 
to, to recognize people around you or in your immediate vicinity who, who you know are new or feel excluded or feel out of place and seek them out in order to make them feel like they do belong. That's hospitality. So, so practically speaking, it's the intentionality with which you show up here to the gathering on Sundays and you seek out the people in the room that look new or that you haven't met yet. Hospitality is the degree to which when a new person shows up to your life group, to hang out with your life group, you take the initiative to introduce yourself and get to know them and then maybe grab their number to text them and see if they want to hang out soon. Hospitality is the speed with which you notice the person hanging out with your group of friends or in one of your classes who doesn't feel like they belong or doesn't feel like they fit in and see it as your responsibility to help them feel like they do. Hospitality is the desire and the intentionality with which you do those sorts of things. It's our willingness to make strangers into friends and friends into family. That's what hospitality is according to the Bible. So this is actually a big part of the reason that we have the awkward two minutes at the beginning of each gathering that some of you guys love and most of you guys hate. The reason that we do this, even though it's awkward, is because it is a specific designated time in our gatherings to remember to do the thing that we all should have been doing already, right? Which is seeking out the people that are new or that don't feel like they belong or don't know where stuff is and seeking out a conversation with them. It's seeking out and welcoming people we don't know. We do that every week because hospitality is a central piece of who we are as God's people. Now, I realize probably some of us hear that and we think to ourselves, okay, I get it, I understand it, but that's just not how I'm wired. I, I'm introverted, I'm awkward, I get uncomfortable meeting new people, and it just doesn't go well when I do it. And I get that, trust me, I get it. I of all people get that. I told you guys a few weeks ago, I tell you guys a lot, I too am introverted. I, too, get uncomfortable in social settings. Sometimes I don't come off that way, but it's just because I've learned to be a high-functioning, awkward person throughout my life. That's the only reason it doesn't seem that way. So trust me, I, I very much get it. I understand that anxiety around doing something like this. But I also need all of us to see, myself included, I need this reminder that the way we are wired does not change the call from Jesus to be hospitable. Maybe it changes the way you go about it. So, so maybe if you're introverted and awkward, maybe you take a friend of yours who isn't that way with you and you go and introduce yourself to a new person together. That could be a great solution. Maybe instead of inviting someone out to lunch with just you, you invite them out to lunch with you and your life group or you and a good friend of yours who's a lot less awkward than you are. <laughs> sounded like an insult, sorry. Maybe hospitality is something that you and your roommate or you and your spouse or you and someone from your life group participate in together so that it doesn't have to be a solo journey. Any and all of that can be totally fine. Your personality might change the way that you go about hospitality, but it doesn't change whether or not you're called to do it. Every follower of Jesus, no matter your wiring, no matter your personality, is called to love and to welcome the stranger. 
So we talked two weeks ago about how biblically, love is placing someone else's good ahead of your own. So that's how the Bible often talks about what love is. And so I want you to see that in a way, that's exactly what we're doing when we show hospitality. When you decide to make yourself a little uncomfortable by walking over to that new person or the out-of-place person, and you strike up a conversation with them, when you are willing to do that, even though it's uncomfortable, what you are doing is you're putting them ahead of yourself. You're putting their comfort above your own. Because chances are that new person already feels awkward. They feel awkward just by being there. So hospitality is when we say to ourselves, you know what, I'm willing to embrace a little more awkwardness so that this person can feel a little bit less awkward as a result. Does that make sense? It's a way of putting them ahead of ourselves. Hospitality is love for another person in action. Now, additionally, I do want you to see that this idea of hospitality doesn't just stop here with the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Hospitality is all over the place in the New Testament as an instruction to followers of Jesus. So take a look with, a few, take a look with me at a few examples on the screen. First, Romans 12, verse 13 says this, Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Hebrews 13, verse 2, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. Notice, hospitality is something you can forget if you're not careful. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Evidently, if you want to meet an angel, hospitality is the way to go. Just FYI, you came in here with that question this morning. We're gonna talk a little bit more about that verse here in a second. 1 Peter 4.9 says, offer hospitality to one another without Grumbling, without grumbling sounds like a word to my fellow introverts in the room, right? We might be inclined to grumble while showing hospitality. And the examples go on. We could do 10 more from the New Testament. Nearly any time the New Testament gives practical instructions to followers of Jesus, to a community of followers of Jesus, somewhere in it is the reminder to show hospitality, to love and to welcome the strangers in our midst. It is such an important characteristic of followers of Jesus. Hospitality is that in the book of 1 Timothy, it actually lists hospitality as a qualification for leaders in the church. Evidently, you guys can fire me as a pastor if I neglect to show hospitality. That's how big of a deal this is to God. Hospitality is of undeniable importance for followers of Jesus. But here's what I want us to see as well. Not only is hospitality of great importance, it's also of great consequence. Hospitality is one of the primary ways by which the good news of Jesus reaches more and more people in our city and in our world. It's been that way from throughout history. So let me read you this quote from a pastor in Portland named John Mark Comer. It's long, but I think it's so very good on hospitality. He says this, Historians argue that hospitality is the primary way that the gospel spread at such a rapid pace. From a few hundred people eating together in an upper room in Jerusalem to over half the population of the Roman Empire in just three centuries, 
The early Christians did this with no political power, no legal protection, under waves of persecution, and millions eaten alive in the arena, with no internet, no sound systems, no printing press, no church buildings, no stages, and no celebrity pastors. The gospel just spread from one house to the next, from one table to the next, over bread and wine, and it changed the course of human history. Hospitality quite literally can change the world. And if you're a follower of Jesus, God wants to invite you into this long-standing tradition his people have had from the very beginning. He wants to use your hospitality to change things in your world. So there's some debate among biblical scholars, but most of them agree that this is what the author of Hebrews was trying to do with that weird quote about how some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So it's referencing an Old Testament passage where God's people welcomed in strangers who turned out to be angels. So more than likely what it's saying is it's trying to use that story as a way to motivate God's people towards hospitality. It's saying, in essence, you have no idea what God might use your hospitality to accomplish. And the same is true with us today. Let me put it a little more soberly for us. The days of the American church growing by inviting a bunch of people to a service like this are numbered. It may still work that way for a while. It'll probably work that way here in the South and the Bible Belt for longer than it will other places in America. But it's not going to last much longer. It's not going to work much longer that you can grow a church just by having an exciting Sunday service for people to show up to. But to be honest with you, I'm 100% okay with that because that was never Jesus' primary strategy for meeting people. It was never God's primary strategy for welcoming people into his kingdom. His strategy for reaching people has always been people. Always. And a big part of that, the first step in that direction, so to speak, is hospitality. Welcoming in the strangers in our midst. One central thing that God wants to use to change the world is you and me as followers of Jesus, befriending strangers, showing them the love and the compassion of Jesus, and welcoming them into friendship. It's hospitality. And hospitality can change people as a result. Just look at the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. Jesus says he's coming over to Zacchaeus' house for dinner, and just by that act of inclusion by Jesus, something changes in Zacchaeus' heart. He immediately says that he's going to give away half of his possessions to the poor, and anything that he has taken from anybody, he is going to pay back four times over. Just so we're clear, that is a majority of his wealth that he is giving away. We don't know how wealthy this guy was, but no matter what, that's a big deal. I mean, I can't even think of the most charitable celebrities that give away a majority of their wealth, right? That makes even Oprah look a little bit greedy, right? But what we're witnessing here is the hospitality of Jesus changing a person from the inside out. Because Zacchaeus now has a relationship with Jesus, he no longer needs his wealth. So he gives it away. And because of that heart change, Jesus says of Zacchaeus, salvation has come to this house. Now, just to make sure we don't over-spiritualize what Jesus was saying there, 
Uh, Jesus doesn't just mean that this guy has said a prayer and now he'll go to heaven when he dies. That's not what Jesus is talking about here, not primarily. He means that this man has been rescued out of his former life of taking advantage of others and he's been rescued into something altogether better. He has been changed as a human being as a result of this encounter, this hospitality from Jesus. And because of that, a little more of heaven has invaded earth through Zacchaeus' life. And that has happened because of hospitality. Hospitality can change people. I have heard people say about many of you in this room this morning that they had all but written off Christianity and Christians until they met some of you guys. And you welcomed them into relationship. You cared for them like they had never been cared for before. I've heard people say about our life groups that they had no idea that friendships with other Christians could be genuine and real and not fake and hyper-spiritual. And you showed them that it was possible. God has used so many of you in this room to change people's hearts towards the gospel and towards Christianity in general, and he has done a lot of it through your hospitality. That's the power of loving and welcoming the strangers in our midst. And one reason we know that hospitality changes people is because if we are followers of Jesus, hospitality is actually what changed us. Notice the last line in our passage from Luke 19. It says, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. You may not have thought about it in these terms, but Jesus seeking and saving the lost is hospitality. You see, hospitality doesn't start with, with us mustering up some courage to walk across the room and talk to somebody we don't know. Hospitality actually starts with what Jesus did for us. Ephesians 2 puts it this way. We'll put this up on the screen. It says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners. That word there is xenos, the same word from earlier. You were foreigners. You were strangers to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What happened for us and to us in the cross of Jesus is the single greatest act of hospitality that this world has ever seen. In the cross, Jesus sought us out when we were strangers to him. He welcomed us when we were alienated from him by our sin. He saw you and I separate from him, excluded from his promises, and he brought us close through his death on the cross. The cross was Jesus putting our good above his comfort. It was the truest expression of hospitality. This echoes through the Old Testament as well, if you want to look for it there. Anytime God encourages his people in the Old Testament to show hospitality, he says something like, welcome the strangers in your midst because you were strangers and God welcomed you. Us learning to show hospitality actually starts with us understanding that we are recipients of hospitality. God is not asking us to do anything for others that he has not already done for us a million times over. And when you understand that, walking across the room and introducing yourself to someone new seems like a relatively small ask. 
Befriending someone who's different than you is a relatively small ask. I'm not saying it's not awkward. I'm not saying it's not uncomfortable. I'm just saying it is a natural response to what Jesus has done for each of us. Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost, and his mission is now ours. I get to meet a lot of the new people that come around and stick around our church. One of the great honors of being a pastor is that you just get to meet a lot of the different people that God has been bringing around. And one question that I always love to ask people, once they've been around for a while, once it's clear that they're kind of making this their church home, one of the questions I love to ask those people is what made you stick around our church family? I always love knowing the answer to that question. Because the reality is that there are, there are hundreds of churches in Knoxville, right? Uh, quite a few of them have way cooler services on Sunday than we do. Quite a few of them have way more programming and ministries than we offer. Uh, I'm positive the other ones have better preaching and teaching than we do. Like, I'm always curious to know, why did you decide to stick around here? We don't even have enough parking here. Like, why would you even come here, you know? <laughs> Do you know what people's answer to that question is? Probably, I would guess probably nine times out of ten. You know what their answer for why they stuck around City Church is? They say, well, I was checking out a lot of different churches, and then I showed up at City Church, and somebody or maybe multiple people came up and talked to me. They introduced themselves. They, they told me where things were. They told me what to expect. They introduced me to some of their friends. Maybe they invited me out to lunch with them in their life group. They invited me to come around their life group. Nine times out of ten, that is what makes people stick around our church family and be a part of the church family here at City Church. It's nothing that we as a staff are doing. It's everything that you guys are doing. It's seeking out and welcoming the stranger. It's hospitality. And listen, that is better than any sermon I'll ever preach. That's better than any gathering we'll ever put on here on Sunday. That's better than any ministry or program that we will ever offer to people. And I believe that is how God wants to change the world through our community. So I'll just close things out with, uh, with a quick story. Um, back when I was living in South Carolina, um, there was a guy that we'll just call Brian who started coming around our life group. He was invited by another couple in the group. He just started hanging out with us. We started inviting him into things. But from the beginning, Brian was really clear with the rest of us in the group about two things about him. He wanted us to know two specific things. Uh, one was that he was not a follower of Jesus and didn't want to do any of the, quote, Christian stuff that we did, which we didn't tell him he already was, but, you know. He didn't want to do any of the Christian stuff, so we said, okay. And second, the other thing he was clear with us about was that he was gay, and he didn't want anybody to try to change that about him. But he kept coming around. We kept inviting him to things, kept including him in things, kept having him over for dinner, just did our best to show hospitality to him, develop a friendship with him. And then one day, uh, Brian and his long-term boyfriend of three years broke up. It was a really messy breakup. Um, we knew for a fact that Brian didn't have hardly any friends in town who weren't also friends with his boyfriend first. And so we just regularly checked in on Brian. We were like, hey, man, how you doing? Is there anything you need? We, we kept having him over for dinner. We kept giving him space to sort of grieve the loss of this friendship and everything that came with that, this relationship that he had, just trying to give him space to be hurt and, and really grieve that. 
Um, we gave him space for all of that. We, we, we tried to let him be disappointed. We tried to serve him any way we could in the process. Eventually, there was one day I was giving Brian a ride home a couple months later. I pulled into his driveway before I could even say, like, see you later, see you next time. He looked at me and he said, okay, I have a question for you. I said, okay. He said, from the moment I started coming around this group, my ex told me that you guys were dangerous. He said that you guys only wanted to convert me and change me. He told me that if I kept hanging around with you guys, you would tell me that everything about my life was wrong because Christians are nothing but, quote, hate-filled bigots. But, he said, at every point, you guys have been nothing like that. He said, I have felt more loved, more accepted, more cared for by you guys than I have by any group of people in my life, including my own family. He said, and oftentimes, I've felt more loved and accepted and cared for by you guys than I have by the gay community. Because even they, as soon as I started hanging out with Christians, all they did was act passive aggressive towards me and tried to talk me out of spending time with y'all. So then I said, man, I'm so thankful that you feel that way. I'm so thankful that you realize we want you around and we're excited that you're around. I'm so glad you feel that way about us. But I was like, what was your question? None of that was a question, right? (laughs) And he said, well, I guess my question is this. He said, my question is why all of these so-called hate-filled bigots keep inviting me over for dinner? My question is why these hate-filled bigots turned out to be the most loving group of people I've ever met in my life. A few weeks later, I was having a conversation with Brian, and he told me that he still didn't believe in God. He still didn't want to do the Christian stuff, in other words. But he did say this time, he said, but you know, if, if I were to ever believe in God one day, it would be because of my experience of love and acceptance through this group. Friends, believe me when I say God can use hospitality to change the world. To bring aspects of heaven to earth in very real ways. And he wants to use us to do it. There there is no grand, is no more worthwhile mission in the world than what God is inviting us into. Through the love of Jesus. So let's join him in showing hospitality. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your incredible hospitality to us. God, thank you that you sought us out when we were complete strangers to you, when we wanted nothing to do with you. Thank you that you dealt with our sin and you made a way for us to live in relationship with you as a result. God, thank you that you did what we could never do in that regard. So God, my prayer this morning, but before anything else is simply that that reality would sink into our hearts and minds that we would remember 
your hospitality towards us and how that's what makes any of this possible in the first place. God, if there are ways that, that we have started believing that our relationship with you is something that we earned or that we established or that we were the operative agent in, God, would you just expose that? Would you help us to see that we are a part of your family by grace and by grace alone, by you seeking and saving us when we were complete strangers? And God, through that, through reminding ourselves of that reality, God, would you help us to put into practice this incredible act of hospitality? Would you help open our eyes to the people standing around us and sitting around us, whether it's here on Sundays, whether it's at our life group, whether it's in our classes, whether it's at our place of work, wherever we are, God, would you open our eyes to see the people that need to be welcomed into friendship with us. God, would you help us to see those people not as annoying, not as an inconvenience, not as something that infringes upon our comfort and our ease of life, but rather as an opportunity to join you in what you're doing all throughout creation in welcoming people into relationship with you. God, would you help us to see the potential in those moments? And God, would you motivate those steps towards that person? Would you motivate our words and our actions? Would you motivate even just our demeanor towards those people so that they can see that we desire a friendship with them? And God, would you use those opportunities, would you use those practical steps of obedience in our lives to welcome more and more people into your family and your mission and your kingdom? God, thank you for giving us the task of helping bring heaven to earth. And God, we simply ask that you would motivate us, that you would fill us by your spirit, and that you would help us to see the dozens and dozens of ways that you are working on a minute-by-minute -minute basis. God, would you open our eyes? Would you help us to see? Would you help us to walk in obedience to you? There's no greater joy in the world than to follow our rabbi, Jesus, as he makes all things new. So God, we ask for your help. We ask for your spirit. In your name we pray.